Anyway, God, another... <laughs> once again, Dana, somehow we get sidetracked. We were talking about the episode, and here we go, down the rabbit hole. <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. I'm Dana Smith, and along with me, Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. I'm really excited about this episode tonight, Dana. This is going to be a lot of fun. It's a two-parter, The Menagerie, and it takes us back to the original pilot for the show, which was called The Cage. Well, we should jump in and get started. This is going to be fun. Well, before we do, I want to cover the uh, comments from the Corbomite maneuver. Did have a few comments about uh, the actor Clint Howard. Uh, a few people thought he made kind of a creepy alien. And then also some people commented on Bailey, and they thought that he should have been brought back at a later point. Oh, you mean so, after he spent time with Baylock? Yes. Yeah. So. Well, going back to Clint Howard, I had mentioned how he had like a teeth issue and that I hoped he had gotten braces. Well, he didn't, because if you look at any other thing he's been in, including like Apollo 13, his teeth are horrible. Apparently, he did not get braces, so I feel bad for him. He had a certain look about him, and I think that's, he just ran with it. Turned out fairly successful. He shows up in a lot of movies. Yeah, not just the teeth, but the bald head. I mean, he was bald in that episode. <laughs> obviously, it was a bald cap. Yeah. Maybe not, obviously, but it was a bald cap in that episode. Horrible and teeth. And he's bald. And horrible teeth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Both. <laughs> The Menagerie, part one. We start off with a very interesting scene that we find out is Starbase 11. We see a woman, she has a uniform on, and she's kind of looking towards the sky a little bit, and all of a sudden, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy all beam down to the planet. After they beam down, this young woman that was looking at the sky before approaches them, and she asks why they diverted their course. Kirk says they had, a re they had received a message telling them to divert to the Star base. She says, follow me. Next thing we see is Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are in front of Commodore Mendez. Spock was the one who had received the subspace message from former captain of the Enterprise, Captain Pike. Commodore says that's impossible and asks if they've heard the word about Captain Pike. He says there's been a lot of subspace chatter about it for months. Kirk says he is unaware. Mendez says, I will show you. Mendez explains as they walk down the hall that one of the baffle plates ruptured on a training mission. Pike went in and rescued several of the young recruits. So they go into a room. Now, as they're entering this room, there's actually a sign on the outside of the door in the hallway that says intensive care. It's a big room. There's a bed in there and over against the one of the walls is kind of a machine with somebody sitting in it and it turns around and he introduces him as Captain Pike. So we know that this is a hospital of some type. Did you notice there were no sliding doors? That was a door you had to pull open. I just thought that was weird. Yeah. Yeah, probably the uh, special effects guys that moved the doors and the guy that went... Uh, <laughs> they were probably all off that week. Wait, are you stuff. telling me that you think that the swishing sound of the door was done by like just some guy up against a microphone and he was make the noise? Is that what you're saying? Could be. So this device that we see turns around and there's Captain Pike. He's gray haired, his face is scarred, and he looks very old and looks like he's kind of out of it. This device that he's sitting in is kind of a wheelchair. Yeah, and it uh, looks a little bit like a fancy motorcycle sidecar, maybe a Zamboni, a small Zamboni. <laughs> 
So in the future, like future Star Trek hockey games, this guy goes out there and smooths the ice. All we can see really is his shoulders and up, right? We can't even see his yeah, hands. Correct. Pike's machine has a colored light on the front of it. And the Commodore asks if he remembers these gentlemen. Pike's light flashes twice and the Commodore says, two flashes means no. When everybody's leaving, Spock asks to stay behind. Spock walks up closer to Pike and says, at maximum warp, they're only six days away. Pike's light flashes twice. Spock bends down and says, I've never disobeyed you, never disobeyed one of your orders before, Captain, but this time I must. Pike once again flashes no. Spock says, I know it is treachery and it is mutiny. And he says, but I must do this. I have no choice. And once again, Pike flashes no. We see that one of the favorite characters of the show, Spock, is really throwing his whole career on the line for something we're not really sure of. But it sounds dangerous and illegal and I was hooked. I was on the edge of my seat. I want to talk though still about this kind of wheelchair thing. He's in some type of metal encasement. It's black. It's like a big iron. Yeah, you know, like a cloth iron. Like, wait, I thought it was a Zamboni. Okay, I'm confused now. It's an iron, it's a Zamboni. It's one of the two. But that thing had to be hot. I mean, it's a completely enclosed thing. Do you think he was wearing pants inside of there, by the way, Dana? Or Maybe he didn't have legs. So what we understand here is that Spock is trying to do something that obviously this Captain Pike does not want him to do. Now, Pike cannot speak. He can move his eyes, but he cannot speak. He's got this very scarred up face. The right side of his face is uh, burnt. He cannot communicate other than doing the yes or no flashing of the lights. Is that right? Correct. So back in the Commodore's office, Kirk and the Commodore are arguing over Spock's quote unquote supposed message. Kirk claims the records could have been altered and the Commodore says that only Spock received the message and there are no records of anything being sent from the Starbase. The Commodore calls down to the computer center and the guy there says nothing was sent from here and they've checked everything possible. Commodore says start checking the impossible. So we see the guy get up and he walks away from his station and when he walks away we see Spock enter the room. He sneaks in and then he comes upon another tech and sneaks up on him and does the Vulcan nerve pinch and knocks that guy out. Then Spock goes to one of the computer banks and starts messing around. He opens it up right? You notice yeah. when you can kind of see inside of there. Looked some... like it could have been a computer. There was wires and circuitry. And stuff. Yeah. Well, and in 1966, people would have probably thought that looked high tech because nothing oh. like that existed, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you saw a computer, it was the size of your living room. We then go back to the Commodore's office and the young woman that was there before uh, she comes in, the Commodore introduces her as Miss Piper. She says she recognized the captain immediately and said they had a mutual friend that described him to her. Oh God, Dana, I love this part. The look on Kirk's face was like... Oh, crap. What <laughs> yeah. part is she about to describe? Who was this? It could have been anybody here on Starbase 11. It could have been <laughs> any number of women. But in fact, and it then, was uh, Lieutenant Helen Johansson. Johansson, yeah. Kirk looks a little worried when she says this. And then uh, she says she merely mentioned that she knew you. Kirk seems a little bit better after that. Kind of a sigh of relief. The Commodore makes a comment to get them back on track. And then uh, Piper says they've checked everything and there's no way Pike could have sent a message to the Enterprise. Kirk says a Vulcan can no sooner be disloyal than he can exist without breathing. I thought that was an interesting line. And then they explained that Pike could not have responded. His wheelchair is driven by brain waves and his heart is battery driven. He can only respond yes or no. So here we go. The mystery deepens. I just don't get why he can only respond yes or no. It seems like we would get more than a yes or a no. He can move the 
wheelchair around, not the wheelchair, whatever it's called. He can move his Zamboni around. Oh God, that sounds even worse <laughs> that he's moving his Zamboni around. <laughs> but I guess Mendez says that he can move it forward and only a little bit backward. So he really so can't do a lot. And maybe that's why the communication is just limited to yes or no. He's pretty, you know, fried looking. And so not a whole lot going on there, I don't think. Yeah, I think you're right. We go back to the computer room. We see Spock is fidgeting with the computer. So it seems uh, to me he's messing with the computer so that he can send a fake message. Is that right? Exactly. And he's got several of these discs with him, which they refer to as tapes because tape drives were a thing back then. But they look like three and a half inch floppies, just a little bit thicker. Yeah. Um, now, most people who are listening to this <laughs> might not even know what the hell a three and a half inch floppy is unless they're, I don't know, up late at night calling the 1-800 number for the generic Viagra, in which case they might have a three and a half inch floppy. But what I'm saying is... <laughs> I have the original five inch hard drive. That's <laughs> <laughs> so back to the story. The voice then says, Starbase operations, stand by to receive new orders, Enterprise. So we get a little glimpse of what's coming. On the Enterprise, Uhura says, Starbase operations, Mr. Hansen. The voice that Spock is manipulating says, this is top secret and the orders will be delivered directly into the computer. Hansen goes to another station, which I believe was the science station, and says, we need confirmation. In the computer room, one of the techs sees Spock and says, you have no authorization here. And Spock says, of course I do. And so he goes up and tries to stop Spock and he hits him. And then he hits him several more times. And each time Spock just kind of pushes him aside and throws him aside. And then one time the guy comes back and is like nailing Spock in the face like three times. And Spock just kind of like barely moves. And then he pushes the guy back. And when the guy comes back at him, he spins him around, does the Vulcan nerve pinch on him. And I'm thinking, you know, Spock is leaving a trail of bodies through here. Somebody's going to wake up from these things and go, hey, we saw Mr. Spock or a Vulcan down here messing with the computers. How long does the Vulcan nerve pinch last? Like how long are, are people knocked out? That's an excellent question. I do, I do not know the answer. For as long as the story requires or what? <laughs> <laughs> so this guy is wailing on Spock. I think what it goes to show is the Vulcan strength, right? That eventually gets established in Star yes. Trek canon that a Vulcan can take a lot of physical abuse and keep going. Spock puts another disc into the computer and then we hear Kirk's voice say, you have confirmation. And we hear Kirk's voice over the speakers. He says, Mr. Spock will provide the details. And then Spock walks over to the original console where the technician was. He opens up a channel of the Enterprise and he says, the ship's computers will navigate the ship. The mission is not to be discussed and no one is to know about this. So again, Spock's up to no good. So something's going on, Dana, with Spock and we don't quite know what it is. But the cool thing is that he has created these discs that are synthesizing voices. Now, in 1966, this did not exist. So now, in 2022, this deep fake technology has become so good that on initial inspection of a video on YouTube or something, you could not tell, is that really so-and-so saying those lines? This deep fake technology was, again, predicted by Star Trek. There you go. Way ahead of the time. So we go to uh, another view where Kirk is watching Captain Pike on a monitor 
in a room. And then uh, McCoy enters the room and he says he keeps blinking no. Kirk asks, how long will he live? McCoy says, as long as any of us. And then McCoy goes on a bit of a tirade about modern medicine and keeping people alive. And he says, that man can think anything we can. He can dream anything we can. His mind is still working. He's still there. But uh, again, he can't verbalize anything. All he can do is yes or no. Which, if you think about it, would be a horrible existence, wouldn't it? Kirk asks if this has anything to do with Spock. He's asking McCoy. And then he says, it's one of two things. Either someone sent us a message diverting us here, or someone has lied, and that person is Spock. McCoy argues that Spock is incapable of lying, and Kirk says that he is half human. They argue back and forth a little bit about Spock being unable to lie. Kirk says, someone is undermining my command and my ship. He goes, I need to find out who it is. And if it is anyone, even you, he points to McCoy, I'll find out. McCoy kind of gives him this look and he says, if you had the ability, but you don't, Spock does. (laughs) I don't know if uh, McCoy is like relieved or like insulted. So then all of a sudden there's a uh, message for McCoy and he's called to the transporter room. McCoy asks, what's the problem? And they say there's a medical emergency on the ship and he needs to report. So again, I think this was Spock with one of his cassettes that he had. Yeah, I think you're right. Yep. He's tricking them once again. McCoy takes off. The next thing we see is Kirk is back in the Commodore's office and he has a book in front of him and the title is Tell Us Four. At the bottom it says Top Secret for Eyes of Starfleet Command Only. The Commodore says, I'll give you permission to see this. Kirk kind of like is a little bit in awe of this book. While he's looking at the book, Piper is watching Pike on the screen so she's looking at the screen, monitoring like the movements. Just, just of, watching Pike. Just watching Pike, hoping that, I don't know, the Zamboni will pop out or something. I don't know. But she's so she's just watching Pike. Yeah. I, that I is her that job little... 24 hours a day. She's got to watch him. <laughs> it seemed weird. Commodore asks Kirk what he knows about Talos 4. Kirk says, General Order 7, no vessel is to interact with Talos 4 for any reason, including an emergency. Commodore says to do so is the only death penalty left on the books. This one thing, this one planet, not only gets you in trouble, you uh, get executed. I wouldn't have thought that the death penalty would have still existed in the 23rd century. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons they made that point of it's the only death penalty left on the books. The Commodore opens the book and says there's only been one ship to interact with this planet. Kirk looks down and he says the Enterprise. Commodore says Captain by Captain Pike and a half-human, half-Vulcan science officer named Mr. Spock. Piper is still watching the screen and she says, Commodore, Mr. Pike is gone. Here's the other thing about that whole thing. She's standing up watching the screen, not sitting down. If she has to be watching the screen for hours on end to see if he disappears, number one, he's stuck in this mini Zamboni. He's not going anywhere. He can only move forward and a little bit backwards. So at the best, he's going to hit the wall and on his trying, trying to get out the door. Hey, by the way, I just thought maybe that's why they don't have the sliding doors in, in oh, the intensive yeah. care unit because he'd get close enough to it he could just slide out maybe that's why they don't have the sliding doors so that's the first thing yeah but what is the purpose of watching him yeah that's that was my second point what's the purpose of watching him we see the screen and the room is empty where pike was they get a message that the enterprise is warping out of orbit and refuses to acknowledge their signal commodore and kirk all look very concerned on the ship hansen says it seems weird not to be helming the ship spock says the enterprise knows where she's going uhura gets a message that they're being 
inhaled. And Spock says, maintain radio silence. So Uhura kind of gives him a bit of a look, but she's just following orders. And Spock uh, sits in the command chair and opens up a channel to the crew and says that per Starfleet orders, he has been placed in charge of the Enterprise. He says, Captain Kirk has been placed on medical leave and he has asked that you follow my orders as if they were his. We see McCoy and Uhura aren't so sure about all this. McCoy asks, what's going on around here? Jim Kirk does not need medical leave, and what's this medical emergency? Spock calmly states that he was not given full information due to the nature of the mission. Then he asks McCoy to follow him. They uh, get on the turbo lift, and the next thing we see is they walk into a room, and we see Captain Pike. McCoy goes over to Pike and asks if he's okay, and Pike flashed no. It's funny that he can flash anybody from inside that machine. (laughs) (laughs) Spock says, one second, Doctor, and he takes one of his discs and enters it into the computer, and we hear Kirk's voice addressing McCoy. He says, sorry about this, but you are not to interfere with Captain Pike and follow Spock's instructions to the letter. Pike's light keeps flashing no. A lot of warning signs going on here. Spock is uh, either his cheese slid off his cracker or, you know, something's <laughs> very nefarious out there. So I have never heard that saying before. Really? Is that a pretty well-known saying? The cheese slid off his cracker? Yeah. I have I, never I, heard that. I remember my dad saying that years ago. Yeah, you know, don't have both oars in the water. I know that one. Elevator doesn't go all the way up to the top floor. Yeah, so. two cards shy of a full deck. Is that it? Yeah, a few cards shy of a whole a few, deck. A few cards, uh, a few cheese slices short of an elevator going to the top floor <laughs> what if it's velveta oh it's, god uh, you know what velveta is not even cheese it's plastic it's oil it is oil combined with some type of nuclear waste back on the bridge Hansen says they're being followed by a starbase shuttlecraft and asks if they should reverse course. But here's the thing I didn't know. I didn't know that shuttlecrafts could travel at warp speed. They both have nacelles? Well, but they talk about the shuttlecraft having ion propulsion. Oh, I gotta go back and read one of these books again. No, I mean, they talk about it in the episode. (laughs) Spock says, uh, we will make no contact. We see the shuttlecraft slowly following. Inside is Commodore Mendez and Captain Kirk. They are trying to communicate with the Enterprise and only getting static in response. Mendez says, we got just enough fuel to get back to the base if we're lucky. Right, but he and, says uh, we've got 63% left. It seems to yeah, me <laughs> to get back to Wouldn't the- would you be at 50%? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It would be 50% or like 51%, right? Maybe there's wind in space. Maybe it's uphill to the star base. <laughs> the thing is that made zero sense to me. Actually, it only made 50% sense to me. Hey, I do have to say though, the, the shuttlecraft was designed designed by this guy named Thomas Kellogg, and he was an industrial designer. The shuttlecraft, by the way, the inside is very cool looking. But this guy, Thomas Kellogg, also designed a very iconic car called the Avanti. We see Spock at the science station. He asks the computer about the shuttlecraft. The computer gives the details of the shuttlecraft and says it doesn't have enough fuel to get back to the starbase. Spock looks concerned and perplexed. We see the shuttlecraft again, and now they've run out of fuel. Kirk says there's only only two hours of oxygen left. And he says, in some ways, he hopes the Enterprise does not turn around for them. He says, once we set foot on the Enterprise, Spock is done. Mendez says he's dead. Doesn't sugarcoat it in any way. And asks why Spock wants to go to Talos 4. He says, the report says there's no practical benefits of this planet. Kirk says, Spock will have a reason. Mendez responds, perhaps he's just gone mad. He's not experiencing Ponfar. Which will come up in a future episode. Everybody 
everybody who's listening to us knows what Ponfar is. Hopefully. Ponfar is what happens when the cheese slips <laughs> off your cracker. Back to the show. McCoy is saying, I wonder who might be after us in that shuttle. I keep coming up with the same answer. Spock asks the computer to lock onto the shuttlecraft. The computer says, tractor beam engaged. Then Spock says, Abel 7 Baker, execute instructions. McCoy turns to Spock and says, is it the captain? Spock goes back to the command chair and addresses the crew. He asks for armed security to come to the bridge. He asks that Captain Kirk be beamed aboard. Then he says, until then, Lieutenant Hanson will be in command. Spock then turns to McCoy and says, as a senior officer present, I am submitting myself to you for arrest. The charge is mutiny. He adds, I never received orders to take command. Security comes on the bridge. Spock looks at McCoy and McCoy is kind of a little bit puzzled as what to do. And then he says, is confinement to quarters enough? Spock says, adequate. I'll make no trouble. Scotty beams the captain and the Commodore on board. Hansen greets them and informs them that Spock has been confined to quarters. The Commodore says, quarters? After what he has done? Uhura calls down and reports the ship's engines are going again. Kirk says to stop the engines, but Hansen says there's no one running the ship. The computer's in charge of the ship. They cannot disengage the computer. Kirk tries to get the computer to disengage. He gives it commands. The computer states it cannot disengage until they reach Talus 4. Kirk states that despite the best efforts to override the computers, they are still on track for Talos 4. Then he states that they are conducting a preliminary hearing on Lieutenant Commander Spock's actions and that will be convened shortly. While Kirk is trying to override the computers, we can see Spock sitting in his quarters and he has full access to his computer and he's watching as Kirk is trying to disengage the computer. It's kind of amazing that Spock can just access anything on the ship. Yeah, like there's a ring doorbell camera in uh, engineering or in the transporter room. The other thing too, did you notice what was behind Spock? I didn't. It was this red glistening sculpture and it almost looked like a candle that had just been melted. It just, it was a very odd looking thing. I I think what they were trying to do was make Spock's quarters look a little different than other quarters that we've seen and look more Vulcan. The preliminary hearing starts and it's to see if Spock has mutiny and Spock waves the right of counsel, requests immediate court martial. Kirk says, uh, denied and adds that three command officers must be present to instigate court-martial hearings. Spock reminds him that Pike is also a command officer. Kirk says denied. Pike is a complete invalid. Commodore says he's right. They never had the heart to retire Pike and whatever Spock is up to, He's planned it out well. So then a general court-martial is being convened. So in the court-martial, once again, Spock has waived counsel, enters a plea of guilty. The Commodore asks Spock to explain why he is doing this, and Spock requests monitor screen be engaged. So we see the Enterprise from 13 years ago, and these are scenes from the original pilot that was called The Cage. Kirk stops the screen and goes to Pike and asks, is that really you? Pike signals yes. Kirk says that's impossible. There's no such record of tapes that are that perfect. They ask Spock where these tapes are are coming from, and Spock says he cannot answer at this time. So then the Commodore asks why we're seeing this, and Spock says, you asked why. And he says, this is the only way that I can demonstrate to you why it's as important that we go to Talos 4. So they return to the screen. The tapes show that the Enterprise received a distress signal from Talos Star Group. Spock, a younger Spock, says the call letters match a survey expedition 
the SS Columbia that disappeared in the region 18 years ago. So now we're following the old crew of the Enterprise. We see Pike goes back to his cabin and he calls the doctor and asks him to stop by. And as he's yes. walking down the hall, I don't know if you notice this, these two people walk past him. They look like they're dressed up to go to a beach party. This guy is wearing light blue shorts, a striped short sleeve shirt, and he's wearing flip flops. Did they just wander in from another show that Desilu <laughs> Studios was putting on? Beach blanket bingo with Frankie Avalon or whoever was in that, Annette Funicello? Yeah, Annette Funicello. Maybe that was Annette Funicello and Frankie Avalon walking past there. I, I couldn't believe that. That was insane to me. The doctor comes in with a little case. Pike says, you know, I don't need any medical attention. The doctor is seen pouring some stuff and he says, did you just put ice in that? And he says, of course, you don't want a warm martini. And he hands Pike one of the glasses. Pike says he's tired of being responsible for 203 lives. He says he wants to go home. And he talks about his horses. He talks about his life, the land that he has. So Pike says, well, maybe I'll just resign then and go into business on the Orion colony. And Dr. Boyce says, he says he can't see Pike dealing in green animal women and slaves. What? This is allowed in the Federation? <laughs> I don't get that. Everybody's entitled to have a job. Spock calls to the captain's quarters and informs Pike that there are crash survivors on Talus. This causes Pike to change plans and head for Talus 4. So back on the current Enterprise, the Commodore suggests that the images they are seeing are trickery. Spock asks Pike if images they are seeing are the actual images, and Pike says yes. Spock says, after witnessing this, if the court still wants to turn the vessel back, he will release the ship back to manual control. Commodore says Spock is in no position to bargain and states that he wants this to end. Kirk disagrees, and Pike votes to move on with the trial. So they turn back to the screen. We see the old Enterprise. They decide to send a team of six people down. Pike leaves number one to command the ship. So they gear up with phasers and communicators, and then they beam down to the planet. Okay, I gotta say something right here, Dana. So they're on the transporter pad, and there are two transporter technicians. One guy's wearing glasses. They then take a camera cut. They show the crew standing on the transporter pad. They make a camera cut back to the two technicians. His glasses are gone. Where? What happened to his glasses? Does anyone in any episode of Star Trek wear glasses that you can recall? No. I can't recall any either. Maybe that's what they told this guy. What the no. hell are you doing with those glasses on? So on the planet, the crew kind of spreads out and walks around and they see these plants that are moving and making a sound. The leaves vibrate and give off a sound. So they continue to walk around and one of the crewmen spots a campsite. Everyone at the camp looks pretty old. As they're talking to the people in the campsite, a beautiful blonde woman steps forward and her name is Vina. And she's very young. Yeah. Then we cut and we see that someone is watching and it's these aliens. They're uh, all dressed in gray and they have these big bulb heads. And they're kind of in a cave watching on what looks like a view screen, watching this take place in the yeah. campsite, right? Exactly. Now as the aliens watch the interactions of the crew, we see their heads move. It's like they're flexing their brain. The heads are obviously enlarged. They're bald. They've got veins on the side. The veins are actually pulsating. Wa Cheng, the guy who made the Baylock puppet, he designed these pulsating heads. The kind of thing is like they have these big heads and their body's kind of small. The next thing we see is the crew's gathering up stuff from the survivor's camp. And as they're preparing to beam up, the blonde walks up to Pike and says, you appear to be a healthy and intelligent prime specimen. One of the old men says, we must apologize for her choice of words. She spent her whole life with a collection of aging scientists. The doctor walks up to uh, make his medical report, and he says that the entire camp is healthy.
healthy, almost too healthy. And then Vina kind of looks at the older guy and says, maybe it's time to show them our secret. Vina takes Pike and walks off. And she says, don't you see it? And then all of a sudden she disappears. Then the whole camp of survivors disappears. The bulb-headed aliens come out of the rock and they spray Pike with a gas that knocks him out. The crew runs after him. We see the aliens taking Pike away in an elevator. The whole team uses their phasers to blast the elevator door, but nothing works. Spock calls up to number one and says that this has been a trap and they've lost the captain. We go back to present day as a message comes across for Commodore Mendez. The Enterprise is receiving transmission from Talos 4 and they are in violation of Starfleet orders. The message continues that Captain Kirk is now relieved of duty. Mendez is put in command. Mendez says to Spock, you have finished yourself and Captain Kirk as well. Mendez orders Spock to return the ship to manual control. Spock respectfully declines. So everyone leaves out of the courtroom, leaving just Kirk and Spock. And Kirk asks Spock, do you know what you're doing? Have you lost your mind? Spock begs him to see the rest of the transmission. Kirk looks to the security guard and says, lock him up. And that's how the episode ends. Now, what I love about the end of this episode, Dana, Kirk is left alone in this room. The camera kind of pulls back. It was really a contrast for me, the enormity of this room and the one lone figure of Kirk, which to me symbolized how Kirk was kind of off on his own. So Dana, let's talk about some of our best and worst parts of this episode. What was the best part for you? I really love the beginning. I love the way it all starts out. I mean, right from the get-go, why were you diverted here to Starbase 11? Right away, there's already a mystery going, and I thought that was a clever way to start this. Yeah, one of my best parts was that they actually took the original pilot, the cage, and they did a two-part episode where they used the footage from the cage. Here they were, not quite halfway through the season, and they ran out of ideas. Roddenberry said, you know, hey, I still have the cage, which was fully produced and already paid for. The producers started putting together ideas for ways they could use that to fill in. And it turned out to be a great episode. It's actually a Hugo Award winner. One of the other best parts for me was Dr. Boyce, who was the original doctor in the cage. He is talking with Pike and Pike says, are you my doctor or are you my bartender? And he says, this is the quote, we both get the same two types of customers customers, the living and the dying. I thought that was a great quote. How about a worst part for you? Spock's yelling just kind of throws me off. One of the worst parts for me was Miss Piper having to stare into the computer screen to watch Pike's every <laughs> yeah, move. Yeah. It just seemed ridiculous to me. <laughs> Well, we're going to hold off on our counts this week. We discussed this. We thought it would be best to do the counts, the dead crewman count, the shirtless Kirk rip shirt Kirk count, the he's dead count, and the I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank count. We thought we would just do all those after the next episode. Yeah, I think that's the best way to do it. So Dana, what's next week? That should be obvious. Dan, not to shock you, but it's a Menagerie Part 2. What? Yeah. Okay. There's a sequel to this episode. So Dana, as always, this has been fun talking about this. I'm really looking forward to concluding it with next week's episode. Hey, enjoy your weekend, and I'll see you next week. Hey, have a good one, Dan. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. We would love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-A-M-N-I-T, Podcast at gmail.com. Or join the discussion on Facebook or Twitter. Those links are available in the show description. For Dan and Dana, have a great week. And as always, live long and prosper. Music